listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. God's Word and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it's so glad to see you. Those of you watching online, we're so grateful to have you. I know we have a lot of our uh, church family that are traveling for Thanksgiving, and I hope that you are ready for Thanksgiving. And uh, if you are not, you need to go to the store uh, and uh, get turkey, ham, and toilet paper. Uh, And so... um, You go do that. Well, before we get going too deep, we want to just come and talk to the Lord and and just just have a time of prayer. So bow with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. God, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for all you're doing here at Central. Lord, we praise you for technology as we have many of our people that are out traveling this week. And and Lord, we just thank you for the ability to just uh, communicate with them. Lord, as I've already spoke to a few that were able to watch this morning, thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to um, protect us from COVID-19, protect our church, protect our city, our state, our nation. God, we pray that by your grace and, and through your name that you would eradicate it, God, from this world. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to all of us. Now, Lord, we want to pray for our missionaries around the world, those that are standing on the front lines, places that are hard and, and hard to reach. God, I want to think of our partners that are in, in the Middle East right now, Father, as they're standing on the front lines. God, help them today to just to have uh, your gospel. We pray, Lord, for the churches in Western Europe, as I heard uh, just of, of three new church plants that are going to be and, and that, are, that are led by North African Middle Eastern pastors, God. And as our church comes alongside them, God, we pray that you'd give them grace. Lord, do what you want in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Let's stand as we read God's word. Even you that are home, you can stand where you are. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. I want to read that again. They gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Verse number nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You may be seated. How many of you really enjoy giving? <laughs> you know, some of you this morning, you're here and you're like, well, pastor, we haven't really heard a message on giving in a long time, and I knew it was coming. I wish I would have just stayed home today. <laughs> some of you, maybe this is your first time at Central, and you say, you know what? Every time I go to a new church, they're always preaching, they're always talking about giving. Well, here's what I want you to understand. Here at Central, we talk about giving every Sunday, but not so much about you giving money to the church, but about Jesus giving his life for you. And so this morning, as we're talking about giving, I want to think about it in in terms uh, of a balloon. Now, you see here, I have a balloon here, and and there are two ways that you can keep a balloon afloat. One is you can blow it with hot air, (laughs) and and, uh, you can then uh, tie it up, and then you just kind of 
smack it up. You kind of hit it up. And, and I think that when I think of, uh, of how you keep a balloon afloat that way, I think a lot of about our relationship with me and you. And that is, you say, how is that? Well, it's kind of it's kind of a metaphor of my relationship with a lot of you because every Sunday I come in here, you're down, you're depressed, and you need to pick me up. And so I smack you with the Bible. I smack you with the gospel. And here's the crazy thing that I found. The harder I smack you, the more you like it. I mean, that's just what I found. But here's the other thing. It makes for awkward conversations when I see you out at the mall. You know, you kind of shuffle along because you're seeing your kids, that's the guy that smacks us down on Sunday. But listen, a lot of you, when it comes to giving and generosity, you will give and you'll have a heart of giving after you hear a sermon on generosity or after you hear a story about it. And, and it's not something you think that in your daily life you're a generous person. It's just when somebody kind of smacks you with the word of God or smacks you with the gospel and reminds you uh, about being generous that you begin to be generous. But that's not what I want for your life and that's not what I want for my life. I don't want my life to be motivated by guilt. I want it to be motivated by grace. So there's another way that you can keep a balloon afloat, and, and that is through, uh, hopefully we'll have this here, through helium, right? And so this just stays up. And as a matter of fact, through the entire message, God willing, it will stay up the entire time. And why is that? Because the helium causes the balloon to stay afloat. And that's what I want for your life. I want the, the, gospel, the helium of the gospel of Jesus Christ to so inflate your life to keep you afloat so that you will constantly have a heart and a spirit of generosity. As, as J.D. Greer says in one of his messages on generosity, he says this, that generosity is not something that God wants from you, but it's something that God wants for you. And listen, I don't want neither, none of us in this room to be generous for a season in response to a sermon. I want us to be generous for a lifetime in response to the gospel. And so here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing in chapters 8 and 9, the longest and most involved uh, passage of scripture on the subject of giving and generosity. For over a year, the apostle Paul has been raising up an offering uh, for Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem, who were struggling financially financially because there was a famine in the area. And so they were raising up a support uh, for famine relief. And he's writing to a very affluent, a Gentile church in Corinth. Uh, very rich, very, matter of fact, right there where they are, been to Corinth, was a major trade route in, in which they, there was just so much money in that area. And so he's reminding these Corinthians of the pledge that they made uh, to give relief to the saints in Jerusalem. And, and in doing so, he wants to encourage them. He also wants to provoke them. And he uses the story of the Macedonian churches. These are the churches in northern Greece, uh, churches in Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. And he uses them as an example of what generosity looks like. So today, the Macedonians are going to serve as our example. And what we see is that they exceeded Paul's expectation for giving, and they went above and beyond. And, and Paul tells us why they went above and beyond. Verse number five, they gave themselves first to God, and then they gave financially to the kingdom of God. Now, last week, I told you that when we seek uh, the kingdom of God, it changes us. And that if you want to be free from the anxieties of this life, you have to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Well, the same is true. If you want to be free from the bondage that money has in your life, you have to first give yourself to God. Now, as we look at these Macedonians, we're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, when to give. Two, we're going to see how to give. And then we're going to see why we give. So number one, when to give. 
Paul tells us uh, the Macedonians. He says in verse number one, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, that Paul saw that their giving was uh, the grace of God. It was a response to God's grace. So he shares here this Macedonian story of great radical generosity. Now, what makes them so amazing to Paul is who they were. To the Corinthians, these people from Macedonia uh, were, were people that were considered to be hillbillies. They, they were considered to be kind of hicks from the sticks. Uh, and even to this day, Macedonians are kind of looked down on because they are not as sophisticated, not as enlightened, and not as elite as the people of, of Corinth. And yet Paul says that they are an example of what it looks like to be generous. And they were generous to meet the needs of these believers in Jerusalem. And what even makes it more remarkable, not that they were just hicks from the sticks, but the very context to which these Macedonians believers lived in. Because the Macedonians actually had it far worse than the Corinthians did. And far worse than what you and I have. In verse number two, he says that it was in severe test of affliction and extreme poverty that the Macedonians gave generously. The Macedonians, what we know, were the poorest and the most persecuted churches in the New Testament, yet they give generously. They they were not generous when everything was going great, the economy was strong, the stock market was up, their bonuses were huge, or their 401ks were booming. They, They were not, the Macedonians were not dependent on who Caesar was at the time or what tax advantages they could get by giving more money. The Macedonians were living in extreme poverty. 200 years before Paul came to Macedonia, there were gold mines that were in the area. And people in Macedonia were very wealthy, but word got out. And by the time Paul uh, establishes these churches in Macedonia, all the money was gone. And it was gone because uh, the people were impoverished through war. People were coming and, and, and invading the territory and taking all the money away. Then the Romans came and, and gave in high taxation. So the economy of Macedonia had deteriorated. And the Macedonians in the area of Macedonia was known as the slums of the empire. Now, here's what I found. Typically in my life and maybe in your life when things are difficult, when things are financially strenuous, our natural inclination is to hoard things rather than to give things. Like normally we want to stockpile. Normally it's our fear and our selfishness that will allow it, that will cause us to hold on to things that others may need. And we, we, we're afraid because we don't want to be without. So our natural defense mechanism, my natural defense mechanism is to get all I can and can all I get and then sit on the can. And that's probably where some of you are. Now, thinking about that, in the midst of this corona apocalypse, one of the interesting phenomena that a lot of people are trying to figure out is the toilet paper shortage. (laughs) Speaking about the can, you know, there you are. That people during this corona apocalypse are hoarding toilet paper. As a matter of fact, a few months ago, toilet paper was more valuable than gold on the the street. (laughs) So there was a study that was done a few months ago by AARP. And they found that, one, age actually was a factor in how much you hoarded. And so the older you were, seriously, they said, statistically, the older you were, the more you hoarded, okay? So if any of you need toilet paper, go see grandma this afternoon. (laughs) And what they say in in the article is that people who feel threatened by the pandemic stockpile. And so he says, they say in here that given the stockpiling of toilet paper is objectively unrelated to saving lives or jobs, toilet paper functions as a purely subjective symbol of safety. So the world is going to pot, people are dying, but I've got enough toilet paper to last me the next 20 years. 
I will be safe in my toilet paper. So you have here that hoarding happens. Normally in tough situations we hoard, but hoarding is a form of greed. And greed is the opposite of generosity. See, honestly, we all struggle with greed. Greed is something that we can easily see in other people, but we really don't see in ourselves. And so these Macedonians were countercultural. They were generous. They didn't hoard their money. They gave their money because their hearts were not consumed by the things of this world. See, the Macedonians could have said, Paul, brother, you know our situation, Paul. You, you know we can't afford to give anything right now. You, you know, Paul, that, that we are trying to feed our own family's mouths, that we are struggling just to make ends meet. And, but, but here's the thing, Paul. When things get better, we'll start giving. But they didn't say that to Paul. They didn't wait for uh, good things to get better because you know why? Things typically never get better. There's always something that's going to come wanting your money. There's always going to be something in your life that, that maybe you, you don't necessarily anticipate that you think is something you need, but it's actually something you want. And what happens is, is that if you're waiting for things to get better, they never will. And if you're waiting on things to get better, you will never give. Some people have said, Pastor, you know, I want to give, but I can't afford to give. And listen, when I hear people say that, I say, that's when you should give. I have learned personally that if you're not faithful in giving out of the little you have, you will never be faithful in giving out of the abundance you have. Now, I want you to hear me. I am not telling you this because I want more money because the church needs more money. I'm telling you this because God wants to see something different in your life. When you are held bound by the allure and the bondage of money and stuff, it will destroy your life. And what I found is that the more you have, the harder it is to give. As a matter of fact, anecdotally and statistically, people who make more money give proportionally lower than those who make less money. And you say, Pastor, you're right. All these rich people in our church need to start giving more money. Well, here's the truth. We're all rich. Compared to the world, we are all rich. Gallup did a recent study that asked people that made a, a, a household income of $30,000, what income do you feel like you need to make in order to feel or to make you rich? And, and the people that surveyed said, the 30,000 people said, I need 75000 a year. If I make $75,000 a year, I will feel wealthy. I will feel rich. They then asked people that made 50000 what income do you think that you would need to make in order to feel rich? And the, those people making 50000 said 100000 most commonly, the most common given answer in America to what would qualify, what income would qualify for you to feel like you are rich was $120,000 a year. Except for the people who made $120,000 a year, they were asked and they said $200,000 a year. Now let me give you some perspective. If you this morning earn $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of income earners in the world. 96% of the world is poorer than you. In India, the median income is $6,000 a year. If you earn $45,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1%. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I'm so broke, I can't even pay attention to your sermon this morning. Listen, you, if you, most people in this room are in the top 1%. Not all of you, but many of you are in the top 1% or 4%. And so the issue is not that you don't have anything, it's that those things that you have actually have you. When is the time to give? Now. When you can. 
But then the question next is how to give. How should I give? Well, notice just how these people's demeanors were. In verse number two, it was in severe test of affliction, in extreme poverty, their abundance of joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They were joyful. There was an abundance of joy. They, they didn't kind of grin and bear it. They had joy. It completed their joy. They did not see giving as a duty, but as a delight. They, they didn't see it as just some sort of God tax. They didn't see it as like paying some bill. You know, most of us, when we think of giving, well, it's just another bill we have to give. See, what you learn from reading chapters 8 and 9, I've listened to it almost every day this week, is what Paul really gets at is not so much the amount, but the motivation. Paul is very painstakingly telling these Corinthians that he doesn't want to command them to give. This morning, this message is not from me commanding you to give. As a matter of fact, I'm not telling anyone that you, sh that you have to give money. And Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians they have to give money because to him it was really about the attitude. The attitude behind the gift is more important than the gift itself. Like how many of you are going to have kids give you a Christmas present with your own money? I know I'm, I myself am prepared for that. And here's what I want. I want them, as they go and blow money on me, to at least be happy when they give it to me. That I want them to have joy. And here's the beautiful thing. I have kids. The thing is, I, I, one of the things I love about my kids is that they have joy in giving their dad things with money that he gave them. <laughs> Husbands, when you think of your wife's birthday, do you just say to her, well, honey, it's that time of year again. Here you go. No, listen, it's not so much the gift, it's the attitude behind it, the same it is with God. Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter nine, verse seven, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want money that, that we give him out of reluctance or because we feel like we're made to. He doesn't want guilt money or pressure money. He wants us to give it to him joyfully. How can you do that? Here's how. You have to understand that the money you have is not yours. You're not an owner, you're a steward. Owners believe that everything they have is theirs. Stewards or managers know that everything they have is God's. We are not owners, we are managers, but by God's grace and his goodness, he allows us to enjoy some of the money that we have. But everything that God has given us is meant to be used to build the kingdom of God and further his mission. And so therefore, when we return just a portion of what he's given to us, it should be with joy. It should be with joy. Father, this is yours. You've allowed me to have it, but this is, this is yours, and, and I give it for joy. But not only joyfully, but sacrificially. Notice here about these Macedonians. I mean, these people are crazy. They're poor. They're, they're, they're not as sophisticated as we might think they should be, but yet they joyfully give their money to help others, and then they do it sacrificially. The Bible says that they gave according to their means, so they gave what they could, but then they went beyond that. Now, that doesn't mean that they went into debt. It doesn't mean that they starved themselves to help those who were starving, okay? It's not like they gave all their money to the Jerusalem people, and then now the Jerusalem people are going to have to, a year later, have to send money to them to help them. No, what these people did is they decided to live on less money. 
They sacrifice some wants to take care of others' needs. Let me give you a definition of sacrifice. It's not going to be on the screen, so if you want to keep it, great. If not, whatever. A sacrifice is this. A sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. A sacrifice is giving up something you love, money, for something you love more. That's what they were doing. Now, I know a lot of you, you would love to give more money. A lot of you would, man, I would would love to give more money to missions. I'd love to give more money to the church. I'd love to give more money to help people. The reason that some of us struggle, some of you just, you've had a horrible year. Some of you lost your jobs or you've lost your sources of incomes. You've gone through great loss. But many people, most people, are not giving because they can't. And the reason that they can't is because they're living beyond their means. And because they're living beyond their means, they're not giving beyond their means. Did you know that the average American spends $1.26 for every dollar they make? One-third of Americans have some form of debt collection they're dealing with. The average car payment in America is $503 a month. But yet the average tithe, for those who tithe, and that's really only between 5 to 10% of the church, the average tithe is $475 a month, according to statistics. So for some people, they want to give, but they're so much in debt buying things that they can't afford to impress people they don't like. And so they can't give. And for some people, when it comes to giving, they, some people just stop at nothing. But these Macedonians, they not only gave according to their means, but they gave above their means. They gave beyond it. They took some of the money that maybe they had planned for something else to give it to reach and help these people in Jerusalem. And verse number four, they begged to give more. In all of my ministry, I've never had anybody beg for an offering. And everybody's a bezer. We need to take up another offering. That wasn't enough. Let's do some more. I've never had that. And if it happens, I'd like to know. I might die of shock. These people beg to give. In my own heart, I'm not begging to give like I should. You know, a lot of people, though, instead of begging to give more, some people have asked me, Pastor, what's the bare minimum I need to give to make God happy with me? You understand that the goal of the Macedonians was not to reach some sort of percentage and then quit? Generosity is not a percentage. Generosity is a goal. And for some people, it may look different. I mean, if you read the Gospels, Jesus, how he commends and talks about giving was this. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he talks about people who tithe, gave 10%, and he says, that's good. In Luke chapter 18, verse 22, he talks, about a rich, he talks to a rich young ruler who has a lot of money and says, give all that you have away and come follow me. And in Luke chapter 19, verses 9, he talks to Zacchaeus, and after Zacchaeus has a heart change because Jesus came to his house. Remember, he was a wee little man, but he had a whole lot of money, He gave over half of what he owned away. And Jesus said it's very good. It shows that salvation is coming to his heart. So for some of you wanting to know, Pastor, what's the percentage? What should I give? Well, you know, people say, Pastor, should it be 10%? Should it be 100%? Should it be 50%? Should it be off the gross or off the net? I mean, what, Pastor, do I need to give so that I can have platinum medallion status with God? What is it? I'm going to tell you the answer. There is no answer. 
If you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks a lot about the tithe. That's kind of our, our for a lot of people in, on this side of the cross, we think of that as the bare minimum. That is the baseline is 10% of what we have. But that is Old Testament. The one thing you'll never find, you never find Jesus, nor will you find any of the apostles saying it has to be this percentage. You know why? Because if that was what they said, if Jesus says you got to give 10%, if Paul says you got to give 10%, if Peter says you got to have 10%, we would get the 10% and we would quit. But what we have on this side of the cross is far greater than they had on the other side of the cross. On this side of the cross, we see something greater because Jesus didn't just tithe his blood, Jesus gave it all. And so in response to that, a spirit of generosity is not something that you produce by establishing a standard percentage. It should be as God puts in your heart. So God measures our generosity not by the size of our gift, but by the size of our sacrifice. For some people, giving a large amount of money is not a huge sacrifice at all. For Bill Gates to give Central $10 million isn't anything. We'll take it, but it's not anything. (laughs) But for others, some of you in this room, giving $10 is a huge sacrifice. So it's not ultimately about the amount. It's about the attitude and sacrifice behind it. And these Macedonians gave joyfully and they gave sacrificially because they loved something more than they loved themselves. They love the kingdom. Well, why? Why would they do that? Why would anybody in their right mind be willing to give beyond their means to help other people? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody give of their money? Maybe you're here in your first time in the church, you're saying, man, why in the world is this guy so excited about giving? Because there's a reason. Why would these people do that? Verse five, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. The us there was Paul and Titus as they were taking up his offering. This word first is not first in time, not chronos, but first in priority. They gave themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and then financially gave to the kingdom and the local church. When Jesus Christ is your first priority, when his kingdom is what you seek first, giving is easy. That's a huge statement I just said there. Because you want to know how I can tell where I'm at in this little heart? It's by my giving. When you give your heart to God, your treasure is with God. When you give your heart to God, when you give it to the kingdom, it's there. And it reminds me of what Jesus says. You remember what he said? It sounds very like Jesus when he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Do not hoard all the toilet paper. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, we're going to tithe toilet paper. (laughs) We're going to do it old school. We're going to have the apostles up here, and you can lay it at our feet, all right? (laughs) Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, say this with me, there your heart will also be. What you do with your money reveals three things. Number one, what you most love. Number two, what you most trust in. And number three, whose kingdom you are living for. You can talk a big game of faith, but what you do with your money reveals where your heart is. Where, were there, where, where was these Macedonians' heart? I think there was two ways, two areas, two things that their hearts were. And, and this is what I think can be the motivation for you in giving. Number one, I think the Macedonians had a vision for the future. 
Paul's going to talk about this in chapter 9. He's going to say in chapter 9, verse 10, that he, this is God, will multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. A lot of bad preaching has used this verse to say, if you give money to the Lord, you will become a millionaire. As if God is some sort of cosmic slot machine that if you just put a few pennies in, you'll come out with a jackpot. But I want you to understand that these Macedonians, as they gave to the people in Jerusalem, were not doing this as a form of playing the lottery. They were giving, not not expecting to receive anything materially back. They were giving knowing that God can take what little they gave and multiply it to produce a harvest of righteousness. See, when you give your money, it doesn't mean you're going to be blessed financially. Yes, some of you may be blessed financially through your giving, but it doesn't mean you're going to be blessed financially. I do believe, though, that God does increase your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. But yet... This giving, the blessing of the giving is not that you can become rich or that your kids become healthy. There's a lot of people that have given millions of dollars to the Lord and their kids have died of cancer. Don't get the idea that God is some genie, that part of rubbing him the right way is giving enough money to the church. What you see here is the reason why we give is not necessarily to get. We give because when we give money to the things of God, it's more than just feeding the poor or hungry people. When you give, you're making a difference for eternity. There's a heavenly vision. There's a harvest of renewed of a, new, a renewed world where poverty is gone and families are healed and lives are changed. It's a vision for the kingdom that is coming on earth so that people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation would call Jesus Lord. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Think about this vision. John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number. Just imagine, just close your eyes and just imagine this with me. Some of you already have your eyes closed sleeping, but for those of you that are awake, close your eyes and imagine this. After this, I look and behold a great multitude. No one can number. Just in your mind, think of that. From every tribe, from every nation, from all the peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. These are people from everywhere crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the heavenly vision we give to. It's so that people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every political affiliation, every issue, every people in this world can come and know Christ. The question is, when I give, should I just give to other causes? Should I give all of my money to Central? What should I do, preacher? I want to know. Well, here's what I want you to hear from me. You should give to your local church. But you don't have to give only to your local church. But you should give your first to your local church. The first of your resources should be given to the local church. Why? Because where you put your money is where your heart will be. You don't know how you can tell if you really support the vision? Do you give? Giving money to your local church is saying this, not to the church, not to the leadership, but in a way maybe it is. When you give to the local church, you're saying, I support the vision. I support the direction. I believe with these people, I'm congregating together, we're going to share our resources together, and we're going to fund the vision, and we're going to change the world. Our vision here at Central is to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multiplying church that makes disciples and raises up the next generation of church planners, missionaries, disciple makers, and church leaders to reach Sanford, the surrounding communities, and the nations for Christ. If you are excited about that, say amen. Amen. That's the vision. And so it's not in the vision 
to be a church where Pastor Allen gets rich and we have the biggest building and they have a bunch of dead and we do stuff so that everyone thinks we're awesome? No, that's not our vision. Our vision is not to make us famous. Our vision is to make him famous. It's to make him known. It's to reach Sanford, the surrounding communities and the nations. We reach Sanford through local outreach like Forest Center, Florida. We reach the nations by giving our monies together and they go to fund missionaries that literally are across the street and around the world. That's the vision. And so that's why in December, around December, you hear about giving. And so as you hear already about the above and beyond giving, we have set aside the entire month of December as going above and beyond. And you say, Pastor, why? Well, as you know, most nonprofits operate on what's called a deficit budget, which means that they responsibly spend more throughout the year, trusting that at the last of the year, the end of the year, where people are more typically prone to give, they make up the difference. And we at Central have been doing this for years. And by God's grace and by your generosity and by our good stewardship of these funds, we have been able to financially be in good shape. Do you understand we are a debt-free church? You understand that? Praise God. And most of the building is still intact. We do what we can responsibly. As you're going to see, we, we're proposing a budget that is a balanced budget. Now, a budget is all monopoly money until it comes in, but we see it as based on trends and being very conservative. We, we are doing that. I mean, this year we're being as conservative but as realistic as possible because we don't want to just slow things down. We want to keep going. And my family, in the month of December, we give to the church. We give extra. We, we at least, at the very minimum, double what we give each month so that it would help make up the difference. And so this year, I really want to encourage you that in the month of December, give to the above and beyond offering. Now, I know that we like to, people like to designate certain things, but I'm asking you just for the month of December just to designate all your monies to, the, if you're gonna, the, of the monies you're going to give to the church, to above and beyond offering, not other little things, just all that. Now, the rest of the year, if, if God puts in your heart you want to designate to this ministry or that ministry, you, you, you can do it, but we would prefer you, even throughout the year, is to be very strategic in how you give. Because what happens is some people will rob Peter here to pay Paul, and it ends up hurting the church. But we're asking you in the month of December just to give to the above and beyond. And I'm going to share with you uh, why. What we're asking for is uh, in the month of December, uh, you can show this slide, uh, is that our goal is $250,000. And that goal, you say, Pastor, that seems like a crazy goal, a quarter million dollars. We brought this in last year. We didn't raise it because we know coronavirus, but we also want to keep it before you. Our church is growing. So this is our goal. And 10% of that money is going to go to international missions. It's going to go literally 100% of that 10% is going to go to reach the nations. That's on top of other missions giving that we give every month. And then 5% is going to go fund local community outreach here in Sanford and the surrounding communities through our new ministry that we're starting called For Central Florida. So you think about that, at least $25,000 is going to go to international missions plus the money that we already give on top of that. And then 5%, $12,500, yes, I can do math, I am a doctor, will go to Fort Central Florida. And so within that, we believe we'll be able to break even on the year. Now here's the next thing. What if we go above $250,000? That money will not stay in the church. That money will be going to international missions and Fort Central Florida. So what I'm saying is, is that financially, because of your generosity throughout the year, we've been able to keep our expenses 
to match our income and so that if we can just get this goal, we will not only be able to break even on the year or very close to it or maybe even a surplus of it, we will be able to give more money to international missions and local community outreach. That's what Above and Beyond Offering does. Now you say, Pastor, why is this so important? Because 2021 is a pivotal year for our church. You know, pre-COVID, we had a lot of plans. We had a lot of dreams and visions. But Corona Apocalypse has taught us we can't just live five years ahead. We have to live almost one year at a time. I'm just trying to survive 2020. What about y'all? Amen. Amen. And so for us, for 2021, it is a pivotal year. And I know some of you are like, man, this is kind of boring. I'll get to the good stuff in a moment. But I think this is really good stuff. This is a pivotal year because what we want to do for the entire year is we want to develop our synergy. That is, we want to bring all our ministries, all our people together, and infrastructure. We want to continue to build infrastructure that gets us towards the vision. And so you're going to be hearing, starting today and moving forward, that we want to move everyone in the go position. We want to go forward with the vision. We want to go towards the future. We want to go across the street and around the world. But to do that, we all have to come together and we have to build the infrastructure so that we can reach people for Jesus. So you, we're changing some things within that. You're going to be, it's come the first of the year, our new website address is going to be gocentralchurch.org. We want to go. Our ministries are go ministries. If you serve in any capacity, we are in the go position. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, uh, that sounds exciting. Uh, how can I be a part of that? Well, a part of Four Central Florida, a part of serving, we want to give you those opportunities. If you want to go above and beyond, you can do that. So as you leave here, you can go and sign up outside right next to the trailer and they will get you connected and on the go team. Why do we go? Here's why. There are 154,937 people every day who die without Jesus. 154,937 people die daily, the best that we can tell statistically by knowing what we know, people die without Jesus. And that, for you that maybe need to bring that home a little bit closer, that's two people who die without Jesus every second. That's why we got to go. That's why we're going. We have to go until the whole world hears. So, why do they give? Because they're funding a vision, a vision for the future. Why should you give? Because you want to be a part of something greater than yourselves. And if you believe what God is doing here at Central, then give and fund that vision. But here's a second reason why you give, which I think is the most important reason. Not only a vision for the future, but a vision for the Savior. Notice in verse number nine of chapter eight, Paul grounds the motivation in what Christ did for us. Yes, the Macedonians were an example, but Christ is a greater example. Because Jesus, who was rich, enthroned in glory, became poor so that we could become rich. God gave us his son, and the son gave us his life. Jesus sacrificed himself so that we can sacrifice for others. Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to leave his throne and glory. He didn't have to become a baby and live as a, a man in abject poverty and humiliation and be despised and rejected and die on the cross, but yet he did. And the gospel compels us to sacrifice for the sake of others. How can we, who have tasted the grace of God, be stingy with our money? Robert Murray McShane, the young preacher who died at actually a young age, but had very tough words, but very true words, said this. He says, the more you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the more generous you become. Isn't that true? 
He says, I fear that there are many hearing me who now know that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with his lifeblood than with money. See, generosity does not come as a result of being made to feel guilty. How many of you, you've watched those commercials of those starving kids or some puppy that's being abused or some issue and you feel like, I want to give, I want to give. But then that feeling just goes away. I don't want you to leave here and the feeling just go away. The only way that you're going to stay afloat is by the helium of the gospel of grace keeping you floating. It's remembering what God has done in your life. It is remembering what the vision is for the church and for your future and for the future of the nations. And we give. Have you ever heard of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf? (laughs) With a name like Zinzendorf, he has to be German. And he is. He was born in Dresden, Germany in 1700. He was a German count, which means that he did very little and got lots of money for doing it. He was a count, which meant he counted his money. He counted his money. And as a young man, he was destined for wealth. He was destined for luxury. At the age of 19, his parents sent him abroad to all the major cities in Europe. And, 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 and he went to one and one and, and, and uh, he went to an art gallery in uh, Dusseldorf. Germany and he saw Domenico Fetis Ece Homo which is behold the man I know for some of you maybe the art doesn't do anything for you but they didn't have TV back then they didn't have iPhones art was the most vivid way of seeing something that you're reading they didn't have anything else and so here in this moment he saw Jesus right before the crucifixion beaten bloodied wearing a crown of thorns and inscribed at the very bottom of the painting were the the words of Jesus. All this I have done for you. What have you done for me? And again, this image just moved Zinzendorf. God gripped his heart with the brevity of life, the reality of lostness and the urgency of the gospel. He couldn't just live for himself anymore. So he took his estate, he took his money, he leveraged it for the gospel. He, he took all of his homes and his housing and he created a missionary compound. And they trained and raised up missionaries. And as a matter of fact, those missionaries went around the world, even to America. It's, it's a movement called the Moravian Church Planting Movement. He penned these words. He says, I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world and henceforth that country shall be my home where I can most be used in winning souls for Christ. I desire only to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. See, when God, when you first give yourself to God, when when you give yourself to Him, He changes what you want to do with your life. He changes how you think about money. And here's the biggest question. What would we where would, be, where would we be without Jesus? Where, where would you be without Jesus? And what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Do you understand that these people that are caught up in these political wars, the reason that they're going crazy is because this world's all they got? 
you understand that? You understand why that's why people are melting down? It's because they live as if this world is all there is. But listen, if you are in Christ, this world isn't all there is. And so I want to be given, I want to be living, giving all that I can to reach as many people as I can who are hopeless and hurting and helpless so that they can know true hope. They can find true help and they can know Jesus. And this morning, I want to ask you, have you given yourself first to God? If you haven't today, you can run to the Father. If you have given yourself first to God, then ask God to change your heart. Ask Him to change you. He will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for answering prayer. And God, where I was crazy or foolish or didn't say something right, God, would your Holy Spirit clean it up and do surgery in all of our hearts. God, you know I struggle with this. And it's because I find myself often building my own kingdom and seeking my own kingdom rather than giving myself to you and seeking to build your kingdom. So God, help us all in this room to put you first. Lord, help us to already have in our hearts what we want to give at the end of the year and help us how we want to give all throughout our lives, not just this time of the year, but every, every day we want to be generous. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know your Savior, God, would today be that day where they give themselves to you? Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.